0: Today I'll be reading Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you.
1: Thanks, Bell. Good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you. Good to see some faces back from overseas travels. The past several weeks, we have been looking at the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes are a list of people that Jesus says are blessed. They're the ones who, according to Jesus, live the enviable life. The ones who, when we look at them, if we understand properly how the world works, the proper response for us is, man, I wish I could be like them and have what they have. That's what this list is. And the type of people Jesus says is blessed, they're shocking. They're not the type of list that any of us would typically look at and think, I want to be like that. Like He says, blessed are those who mourn. No, thank you. I like to not cry. He says, blessed are the meek. No, thank you. I like to get my way. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, which we looked at last week. It sounds great in theory, but it is hard work. It is difficult. It is uncomfortable. It's going to bring too much pushback, not interested. The whole list has been shocking. And yet I think today's is probably the most shocking of all. I think what we're gonna look at today, the final beatitude is the most difficult one for us to wrap our minds around and and to see as blessing. I know it is for me, and here's how I know it is for me. Because with all the other beatitudes, I feel maybe a little weird, but comfortable praying for those things in my life. Like, you know, at first glance, I'm not interested in them but then I learn more about them. I'm like, I can see how this is important. God, make me a peacemaker. Make me merciful. Make me poor in spirit. Make me pure in heart. But when I try to pray for today's, something comes up inside me that's like, no, I can't do it. Or if I do do it, I need to put lots of qualifiers on it. Like, God, I really, really don't want this. I know you say it's good for me. I trust you. I believe that it's best for me. If it really is best for me, then send it. But, oh, that's so uncomfortable. Because today what he says is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to take some time to unpack that because I'm guessing you guys are like me, that all of these have been difficult. All of these have been weird. But this one is just a whole different level of difficult and weird and I don't feel comfortable praying for this in my life. And I don't look at people being persecuted and think that they have the enviable life. So we're going to unpack this today. We're going to see what Jesus means when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to look at a strange path to blessing, exploring that path and then entering that path. But first let's pray. God, we come to this passage recognizing from the start It's a hard one for us in our culture to wrap our minds around, to see persecution as good news and blessing. And so God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word today, hearts to understand, that you would be shaping us to be people who live the truly blessed life, even if that's one that on the surface doesn't make any sense to us. So God, yeah, just speak to us today, help us to see how you've designed the world to work, that this persecution that seems so terrible to us could actually be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So first off, we have a strange path to blessing. Like I said, this is the most difficult, the most shocking, the most uncomfortable of all the Beatitudes. At least I think so. One or two of you may disagree with me. My guess would be most of you are on the same page as I am. This is hard. Like everything's been hard. This is next level hard. And we often feel that way because we live in a society that's all about making us comfortable, about having things our way. When I was a kid and I would watch TV, the Burger King commercials would come on and they would always tell you, at BK, you can have it your way. You want your burger with no onions? McDonald's might give you a hassle about that, but Burger King will give you exactly what you want, exactly the way you want it or Outback Steakhouse. We have one of those here in Tongchong. I ate there last night. Do you know their, their slogan? No rules, just right. You come here, no one's gonna judge you. No one's gonna tell you, you need to change to fit in. We're gonna go out of our way to make you comfortable. We in our society, those, those messages sell because we want comfort. We want to have it our way. We want no rules, just right. And that means, that we do what we can to avoid suffering because suffering is not comfortable. Suffering and persecution are very, very uncomfortable. So when Jesus says today's beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, I think most of us just internally are like, nope, does not compute. No way that's possible. We believe success and growth and progress in life come from moving up and to the right. Like, think of a graph. That's how we think success works in life. The x-axis is time going by. As time goes by, we're moving always up. Like, we're, we're moving our way up the company, we're getting promotions, we're making more money, we're hitting key life milestones, like getting married, having kids, our kids doing better in school than everyone else's kids, so we can look down on them and know we're better than them. We always need to be moving up. And if up and to the right is our primary goal in life, we're gonna make compromises to move up and to the right. Like if we can lie to our new boss about how much our old company paid us, so he'll make us a better offer, we'll do it. Cause that's gonna move us up and to the right. If we can cheat on the test and not get caught, if that's success, yes, you're gonna do it. If you can cheat on your spouse and not get caught, more fun for you, why not? And we know that our world holds this as the model of success because you look at the people who the world celebrates, who are they? They're the ones who are able to cheat and lie to get ahead and not get caught. And I think if we're honest, that's probably who we in the church look up to as well. Like if you know that someone lied to their boss about how much they made in their previous company and got an offer letter $15,000 a month higher than they should have gotten, and they got away with it. Isn't there a little part of you that's like, I wish I could do that. I wish I could get away with lying to my boss so that I could make $15,000 a month more. That sounds like the good life to us, right? We, we, I do that. I'm like, man, how do I swing that at the church? I'm just kidding, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not actually trying to do that. But our world holds us up and to the right model as the ultimate definition of success. And far too often we in the church hold that same definition of success. And if this is the view of success that we hold, then anything that gets in the way of our perfect plan for life, isn't a blessing. It can't be a blessing. It's an obstacle for us to overcome. And in comes Jesus and says, persecution, which is an obstacle if there ever was one, is a blessing. Which means one of two things, either, persecution helps us move up and to the right, or we've been using a totally different chart to define success than Jesus has been using. Either persecution helps us move up into the right, or we are using the wrong graph. Those are the two options. And, and if you've ever experienced persecution, or even if you haven't experienced persecution, but you just know generally what it is, being mistreated for what you believe, you know, it can't be option one. Persecution does not help us move up and to the right. The reason persecution feels so terrible is because it gets directly in the way of that up and to the right path. Time is still going by, we're still moving to the right, but we're just moving down instead of up. We're literally going in the wrong direction. (laughs) It puts us off course for achieving all of our life goals. And that leaves us with option two. The chart that we've been using to map success It's totally different than Jesus chart. For Jesus, the good life, the blessed life, the enviable life doesn't always move up and to the right. It often bumps us down the graph, at least for a little while. And of course, when we're so consumed with, have it your way, no rules, just right. When we see stuff coming, that's gonna bump us down. We run as far away from it as fast as we can. But Jesus says the good life, the truly enviable life, actually often looks more like a J-shaped path, what we could call the J-curve. We're gonna put it on the screen so you can see it in comparison to ours. See it moving down there? Is that a little bit scary to anyone? It's uncomfortable to think that that could be the path to success, right? To to picture the J-curve, again, you can see it. Think of the letter J. It's from its starting point on the left, it goes down before it goes back up. Yes, it ends higher than it started, but it's not a straight line to get there. It goes there by first moving down and then coming back up. And Jesus, with his teaching right here on persecution being a blessing, he's saying this J-shaped path is actually the path to true blessing for his followers. And this isn't something he's just saying. This is something he wants us to really understand and prioritize. You notice out of all the Beatitudes, he put this one last, which means for for an oral culture where they're listening to him, this is the thing freshest on everyone's mind as they walk away from hearing about the Beatitudes. It's the one that sticks with you. It's also the only one of the Beatitudes that he repeats for emphasis. We have verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He repeats it because it's so important. He doesn't want us to miss it. And then third, he makes it personal every one of the Beatitudes up to this point, either says, blessed are thee, dot, 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 or blessed are those who, dot, dot, dot. This one, he starts that way, but when he repeats it, he says, blessed are you. He's making it personal. It's not some abstract idea out there. It's something he wants his listening audience to incorporate into our own lives. So Jesus seemingly upside down definition of success and blessing through persecution It's a big deal to him. He wants us to get this and wrap our heads around this. And so we're gonna spend the rest of the sermon unpacking this J curve. And we're gonna start by exploring this strange path. See, how can it be that true blessing in life, the truly enviable life, doesn't come from moving up into the right all the time, but through sometimes moving down? It just feels weird to us, right? And yet I think on one level, we understand this concept. All of us do. Think about learning a new language. Justine and I have been learning Cantonese lately. We got a tutor who's teaching us because Judah starts in local school tomorrow. And we wanna be able to understand what he's saying with his friends. And so we have been trying our best to learn Cantonese. And when you learn a language, what are you doing? You're making a sacrifice right now for the sake of benefit later. You're choosing to give up free time when you could be relaxing or time when you could be doing other productive things in order to instead study and learn. You're making a fool of yourself in front of people who speak this language fluently. You're moving down on so many different levels, but it's not for the sake of staying down, down, down forever. It's for the sake of learning and being able to communicate and being able to do things in the future that you can't do right now, but you can't get there unless you take that downward path first. It's the same with learning an instrument. You sacrifice now for the sake of being able to play beautiful music and have fun doing it later. And if you're like, Eric, I'm not interested in music. I'm not interested in languages. I'm not interested in this idea here's something that I think everyone will be interested in. Retirement. Because what are you doing when you invest for retirement? You're taking money that you have right now, and instead of living it up, living the full luxurious lifestyle that you could have right now, you're sacrificing. You're taking that money you could be enjoying right now to move yourself up and to the right, and you're putting it away in an account that you can't touch for decades. You're moving yourself down right now, for the sake of being higher up later on than you could be otherwise. But my guess is that while we understand that concept of of sacrifice now moving down for the sake of moving up later, we struggle sometimes to connect it to persecution. And I think there's two big reasons for that. Number one, with things like instruments and languages and retirement accounts, our suffering is voluntary. We're the ones who chose to start learning the new language or the new instrument, or who started to put the money in the account for ourselves. Unless your parents forced you to learn an instrument or a language, in which case, maybe this doesn't apply as much to you. But as adults, if we're doing these things, we are making the choice to do it. And that means that at any moment, if I decide it's not worth it, I just stop. I cancel the tutor. I cancel my lessons. I stop putting money in my retirement account. I have the full power to step out of the J anytime I want. I'm the one in control. But in contrast, when I'm being persecuted, I'm out of control. And that is far more uncomfortable. And second, with languages and instruments and retirement accounts, we can see the growth, right? I'm very new to Cantonese, but there are sentences my tutor will say to me that I can understand now that I couldn't understand two months ago. And when I see that, I'm like, I'm making progress. There's hope for me to learn this language. This is wonderful. When you're learning an instrument, you can play songs now that you couldn't play three weeks ago. And you're excited because you're like, I can't play Mozart yet, but if I can play this now, I can get there someday. With a retirement account, you pull up the app on your phone and you open it up and it shows you there is more money in your account today than there was at this time last year. And you can imagine all the things you can do in your retirement with that money and you get excited about it. But with persecution, how do we see growth? You know, God hasn't designed like a heavenly rewards app that you can just, ah, yes, the persecution this week brought my heavenly rewards up 10%. Like that's not how it works, right? You can't see what is happening in terms of that progress as easily as you can in other areas of your life. And With any other area, seeing that progress and growth encourages us. It gives us the strength to keep going when it's difficult. And if we can't see it, that makes it so much easier to get discouraged and to just want to give up. So where do we get the encouragement we need to stay in the J and keep going, even when it's difficult, even when we face persecution? Well, first, it's the example of Jesus You know, Jesus never taught his followers to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. Jesus, who always did what was right, always did what was righteous, was hated by others and persecuted because of it. But he endured through that persecution. Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11, it traces Jesus' journey down the J and back up. I wanna read it to you. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So you trace that. He starts out, he is God. That's a very high place to start, right? And what does he do? He empties himself. He moves down and not just down, but he, he born in the likeness of men, taking the form of a servant. That's a, a big step down. But notice up to this point, that's all Jesus making choices of his own, doing these things on his own initiative. But after that, what happens? Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He endured persecution and went even lower. Lower, lower all the way to the point of death, being buried under the ground. But that's not the end of the story. What happened next? Therefore, God highly exalted him. God brought him back up and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess, even the ones who reject him, even the ones who killed him will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. He started out as God and somehow, despite being as high as you can possibly be through his suffering ends up higher than he could have been otherwise without it. He lived out this J curve in his own life. And because Jesus suffered, God raised him up and set him on high. Jesus is the ultimate example of the fact that what he's saying here is true. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account, your reward is great in heaven. But if you look at the example of Jesus, does anyone else feel a little like overwhelmed and intimidated by that? Those are some big shoes to fill. It's a lot to ask, right? Like, how do we do that? Well, that's why we also need encouragement, not just from the example of Jesus, but from the salvation of Jesus. See, the awesome thing about Jesus, he's not just our example. He's also our savior. He doesn't just walk this J-curve path and then say, try to keep up. No, he walks it, for us, because he knows we can't do it on our own. God knows that just saying, look at what Jesus did and do it yourselves, that would crush us. We cannot do it on our own. So Jesus not only models this path for us, he saves us. Because he endured this persecution for us, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that all who trust in him will have a glorious resurrection like his. Not because we've done something great. Not because we've earned our status before God, but because when we were completely undeserving, Jesus rescued us. The fact that Jesus has rescued us, that's the only way we can rejoice and be glad when we're persecuted. Because we already know we have a great reward in heaven, and that great reward is a gift from Jesus, not something we earn. Yes, we might be on the downward curve now, but the upswing of the J is coming and it's gonna be amazing. We follow Jesus not only as our example, but as our savior. So that's the theory behind the J curve, why it works, why we follow it, how it can be a source of blessing. But this isn't just about theory. It's about transforming our lives. So let's look at entering the path. See, Jesus didn't just speak these words so you and I can understand the theory of enduring persecution well. He spoke these words as an invitation to you and me to endure persecution with him. He spoke these words as an invitation to you and me to endure persecution with him. That's why he changes from just, blessed are those who are persecuted to blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Because he's inviting you and me to live with persecution as part of our lives. And if we're gonna be the church that Jesus calls us to be, we need to be prepared to suffer well. And so I wanna take some time to just talk about some practical questions about what that looks like. So first, does this mean Christians should view persecution as fun? No, persecution is miserable. Of course, we're not supposed to view it as fun, but we're called to have a perspective that even in the midst of the suffering of persecution, we're able to find joy during that time. How can we rejoice in the midst of such a hard time? Well, again, it's like learning a new language or investing for retirement. If our focus is consumed with the current pain, we're gonna be miserable. We're gonna wanna give up. We're gonna wanna get out. But if our focus is more consumed with the future benefit that's gonna come because of this pain, we're gonna have joy in the midst of the pain. You know, putting aside part of your paycheck every month is not fun. But when you remember, because I'm doing this, someday I'll have the freedom to not have to go to work every day if I don't want to, that encourages you to keep going even when it's hard and to be excited about it. And so if you're a Christian, it's so important to remind yourself over and over and over again about the future hope that God has for you. And not just to remind yourself, but to remind everyone else in the church And to have them remind you, if we're gonna handle persecution well as a church, we need to be constantly reminding one another that God has a greater hope for us that's beyond anything we can even imagine right now. Right, like that need for mutual encouragement and upbuilding is big part of the reason that we meet in person on Sundays instead of just recording something and putting it on YouTube. Because actually being here and speaking to one another and encouraging one another is so vital and important. And having that understanding, that, that perspective, that God is working, that he is bringing good through our tough times, that's going to help us understand that we can have joy in the midst of trials and in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering. Next question, what's the difference between regular old suffering, persecution, and being persecuted for righteousness sake or on Jesus' account? You know, the nature of the world we live in is that everyone in the world suffers. COVID was something that has caused some level of suffering for everyone, whether they're Christians or not. If you're a Christian, the Bible invites us to enter into all of our suffering, even the more general suffering, in partnership with Jesus, as part of that J-curve at work in our lives. So there, there is hope in run-of-the-mill suffering. There is opportunities for growth in the midst of that suffering, but that's not what this verse is talking about. Next, there's general persecution. Like some people are persecuted because of their ethnicity. Some people are persecuted because of their political views. Some people are persecuted because they're just annoying. That's more general persecution, not persecution for righteousness sake. And again, if you're a Christian and you're going through general persecution, God invites you to endure that persecution with him as part of his process of helping you become more like Jesus in your life. But again, that's not what this verse is talking about. What this verse is talking about is persecution that we face specifically because of our faith in Jesus and because we're trying to live in a way that honors him. It's not just a call to endure through all the normal suffering in life. It's not just a call to endure through general persecution. It's actually a call to enter into extra suffering for the sake of Jesus. And Jesus is saying this suffering and persecution is as much a part of following him as any of the other Beatitudes. Just as you can't be a true Christian if you're not poor in spirit or pure in heart, you can't be a true Christian if you're not persecuted at some point in some way because of Jesus. So what will this persecution look like? Well, it could be physical. There's a long history of Christians being physically beaten and abused, even killed because of their faith. Thankfully, in this area where we live, that hasn't been as frequent in recent years. So hopefully it won't look like that for us most of the time. It'll often appear in ways that on the surface appear more mild, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's easier to endure. So one way that persecution could work is social exclusion. Maybe in our pursuit of righteousness following Jesus, we're like, I don't want to be part of gossiping about other people. And a certain group of friends is like, well, if you're not gonna gossip with us, we're just gonna leave you out of conversations. We're not gonna invite you to join for the fun activities we do because we don't wanna feel bad about our gossip from you being there. Maybe people will say mean things about you to your face or behind your back because they don't like that you follow Jesus. Maybe it's something like getting overlooked for a promotion at work. Maybe you're the most qualified, most experienced candidate for a position. You've applied for it. And the company says, you know what? We know this person, they're gonna do what's right, not what's in the company's best interest. We want someone in this role who's gonna put the company first. And so you get skipped over for the promotion, even though you're the most qualified person for the job. And that's hard. It means your family has less money to work on, to live off of. It means on a professional level, there are people who came into the field after you, have less skill, less experience, and they're moving past you on the corporate ladder. That's not a fun situation to be in. But in any of those situations or others like them, they can be sources of blessings for us if we're enduring them because of Jesus. And also let me clarify, There are many Christians who sometimes can claim persecution when they're not really being persecuted. Like in America, there are many Christians who say, COVID restrictions, making us wear masks to church, that's persecution. That's not persecution. Persecution is targeted. These are things that are applying generally to everyone. You may find those restrictions annoying. You may find them inconvenient, but they're not persecution. Another example that's not persecution I once heard a story about a man who came to his pastor and said, pastor, my boss is persecuting me for my faith. And the pastor said, okay, okay what happened? He says, well, I was at work. I was reading my Bible. And I got in trouble with the boss. If you've agreed to do a job for someone and rather than doing that job, when you're supposed to, you're reading your Bible that's actually laziness and irresponsibility. That's you not holding up your commitment, right? If your boss gets you in trouble for that, they're not persecuting you. They're just doing their job. Um, So I think if, if our faith is such a priority to us, it needs to be a priority all the time, not just on the company's time. The persecution that Jesus is talking about here, persecution for righteousness, it's when we're persecuted for doing the right thing, not when we're suffering in general, not for doing what's wrong. Okay, another question. If persecution brings blessing, what if I'm not being persecuted? Well, no one is persecuted all the time. So if you're not being persecuted right this moment, don't beat yourself up over it. But if you say you're a Christian and you can never think of any time in your life where you've ever faced any level of persecution because of your faith in Jesus, it's probably worth examining why that's the case. Why is it that we've never once on any level suffered any type of persecution for following Jesus. Because Jesus assumes that if we are his followers, it will happen. And there could be several reasons for it. One is that it's possible we're not suffering for our faith because we're just living in a Christian bubble. We come to church, we hang out with only Christian friends during the week. We don't really interact with the outside world around us. And so we're not actually coming into that clash of cultures and values that Jesus expects us to be coming into. And if that's the case, we need to remember, God put us here as a church because he has a mission for us to reach out to the world around us and share with them the good news of who he is. If we're living completely isolated and cut off from that world, we're actually not completing the mission that God has for us. He calls us to interact with the world around us. But it's also possible that you are interacting with the world around you and still not being persecuted. And that could be happening because we've compromised with the world. We don't live differently than the surrounding world. So there's nothing particularly righteous for them to persecute us for. Because as far as the world can tell, there's nothing different about us. And if that's you, again, it's worth examining, why is that the case? Is it possible that you're not actually a Christian? And I don't say that lightly, like that's a big deal. If you've never suffered for your faith, is it possible that it's because what you thought was your faith doesn't actually exist. That's something you need to sort on between you and God. But it's also possible after you do that examination, you're like, yes, I I really am a Christian. But then the question is, why hasn't your life changed because of your faith? Because the Bible says real Christians will be changed by our faith. Real Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside us, guiding us, transforming us from the inside out. And if that transformation isn't happening, how does your life or your relationship with God need to change in order for that to happen? I know again, persecution, super uncomfortable. Probably none of us would look forward to it. But if you've never experienced it on any level because you're following Jesus, don't just assume everything's okay, God just loves me extra. No, stop and ask why that's not happening. Okay, so on the other end of the spectrum though, if persecution brings blessing, should I be seeking persecution? Should I be trying to suffer more for Jesus? Again, no. Jesus' expectation is that if we are genuinely living for him, persecution will find us without us having to look for it. If you look at the example of the early Christians, even the guys in the Bible, if they were facing persecution and they had the chance to escape without denying Jesus, they did it. So in Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. He's about to be executed the next day. An angel appears in his cell and says, get up. And as he stands up, his chains fell off. And the angel says, get out of here. And Peter says, no, I'm suffering persecution for Jesus. This is wonderful. I wanna stay. No, that's not what he does. He gets out of there. In Acts chapter nine, Paul, he's in a city and there's a group of people in that city who are trying to kill him. And they're watching the city gates day and night to see when he's gonna leave so they can grab him and take him and kill him. And you know what he does? He sneaks over the wall in a basket in the middle of the night to get away. He doesn't want to suffer persecution. If he doesn't have to, he's gonna get out of there. And so God doesn't say, go seek out persecution. It's gonna find us if we're truly living for Jesus. And if God gives us a chance to escape, He's inviting us to escape. There will be plenty more persecution to come in the future if we're genuinely living for Jesus. And I know all this talk of persecution can be really hard to hear. It can probably be really discouraging and scary. We don't want to think about suffering and being powerless to stop it. When we see how much Christianity is supposed to cost, it, it suddenly becomes less appealing. Like if you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you're thinking about becoming one, I realize this sermon might have pushed you away. And I'm not sorry for that because Jesus says, if we're going to follow him, we need to count the cost. We need to understand what we're actually signing up for. And so I would rather have you take this into consideration right now, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, rather than get five years in and be like, oh shoot, didn't realize that was part of the deal. It's better for you to hear it now and be aware of it and take it into consideration so that when you make the decision to trust in Jesus, you're making a fully informed decision. But as we close today, I want us to hear from two voices in Christian history who have suffered persecution for Jesus' sake. And I want us to just hear what they have to say about their experience because I think it can help encourage us as we think about what persecution does. The first is from the Bible. It's from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three. And this is what he says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Now, Paul suffered a lot for Jesus. As he wrote this passage, he was in prison, expecting that he was gonna be executed in the near future. And he looks back over all that he's suffered. And as he looks back, all he can say is it's worth it. If it gives me more of Jesus, give me more of it, because all I care about is getting more of Jesus. He's experienced what Jesus says here, that persecution can be a blessing and a source of joy. The second testimony is from a man named Samuel Rutherford. He was a Scottish pastor who had to spend some time in prison because of his faith. And as he reflected on his suffering, this is what he said. I never knew by my nine years of preaching so much of Christ's love as he taught me by six months imprisonment. Christ's cross is such a burden as sails are to a ship or wings to a bird. he's not saying persecution was easy, but he says it allowed him to see and experience parts of God's love that he never could have experienced otherwise. He said, suffering for Jesus made my life as much heavier and harder as a bird's wings make its life. Which if you missed it, that's a joke because bird's wings actually let them fly, right? He says, suffering for Jesus, maybe it adds weight, but it's a weight that lifts me, not a weight that holds me down. The testimony from those throughout church history who've actually suffered for Jesus says, as counterintuitive as it may seem, what Jesus said in today's beatitude is exactly right. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, including us when we suffer for Jesus, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is part of the path to true blessing in life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even when your ways at first glance and second and third and fourth glance seem to make no sense to us, that you know what you're talking about. We thank you that even when we suffer and are persecuted for our faith in you, that you haven't abandoned us, but you're with us. And that you're working through that time to give us hope, to give us joy, and to give us blessing. God, forgive us for all the times in our lives that we haven't believed that's true. God, I pray for us this week that whatever persecution you send into our lives because of Jesus that we would have the strength to, to stand for you in the midst of it and to have the perspective to see how you're working for our joy in the midst of this difficulty. I pray for those here who have never suffered persecution because of Jesus, God, that you would be helping them to examine this week why that's the case and helping them to, to live in a way that's in line with who you call them to be. And that as they begin to suffer for Jesus, that you would give them strength to endure and joy in the midst of that suffering. God, help us to be the church that you called us to be, to encourage and strengthen one another in the midst of these tough times that we face. In Jesus' name, amen.